Hello, and welcome to the Neil Before Pod interview segment. I'm Craig, and I recently had the chance to talk to actor Freya Maver and director Tom Edmonds. They worked on the excellent Dead in a Week or Your Money Back, a film about an ageing hitman that only kills people that already want to die. This film was brought to the Edinburgh International Film Festival and did really well with audiences, so I hope you enjoy what Freya and Tom have to say about the film. First up is Freya Maver, who played Ellie in the film. I'm here with Freya Maver, star of Dead in a Week, brackets, or your money back. How are you doing? <laughs> I am very good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you enjoying being back in Edinburgh for the festival and for the film? And... It's great. It's so strange. Edinburgh's like actually sunny for once. Yeah, so it's, it's crazy. It's, it is amazing. It's like being in, yeah. Too Spain. hot for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Every person I've met has said, oh, it's too hot. It's too hot. I can't believe it. Yeah, I know. We, we Scottish people, we like to complain about the weather. Doesn't matter what the weather is. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So for this film, uh, how did you, how did it come about you getting cast in this film? What was it that attracted you to this character in particular? Uh, so I was I was uh, sent the script by my agents and then went for an audition with uh, with with Tom with the director presence. And I mean, I was immediately attracted to the project because it's comedy. I love mm-hmm. comedy, and it's not just comedy, but it's a dark comedy, yeah. which is sort of my favourite. Um, and then on top of that, the role is. Fantastic! I think you know it's really these four kind of odd characters, and amidst you know amidst that you have these two really quite strong and strange female characters, yeah. and I loved the idea of exploring that and being able to kind of play with you know with the with the darkness and play with the kind of comedic element of it. So um, yeah, I think that was a massive appeal. Cool. Uh, it's interesting you say about strong female characters. It seems that that's a kind of a through line for you in your career so you had uh, Liz and Sunshine on Leith who very much makes her own choices mm. and um, forget the character her name was it Natalie and yes. Modern Life is Rubbish she also makes her own choices to get out of that relationship and things like that yeah and then she gets back with him which is you know if it was the feminist version of that film <laughs> yeah. she would just leave which, yeah. I, <laughs> which I would I would do <laughs> so is it important to you to get those kind of roles and, and make sure there are obviously more of them uh, I mean it's no I mean I think it's 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 uh, it's a great to have. I would just say that there should be more women involved yeah. in the film. But I think you know it doesn't. I don't think you necessarily need to just play strong female characters yeah. in order to champion you know feminism. Mm-hmm. I think you know being an actor, the joy of it and the and the kind of intrigue is to be able to show everything and, mm-hmm. and not you don't just want to play strong female characters so that people think well that's who you are. I think you want to explore everything and show as much humanity and different personalities as possible. So it's not so much that that's what attracts me. I yeah. think um, I think they've been proje- there have been projects where I've also played very, uh, I suppose, you know, uh, submissive characters. I've played a sort of, well, I mean, a, a sort of femme fatale but frail secretary in a French film called uh, La Dame dans l'auto, where she's sort of very much in a male-dominated world and has to sort of use her fragility and her sensuality in order to get forward which Mm -hmm. but that but that's equally as interesting as playing a woman who's very dominating and so it's it's I'd say you know something that's important to me is just about seeing more more women's voices involved in the industry so more well written rather than absolutely strong yeah for sure that's fair you do some action in this film lots of frantic running and you (laughs) knock knock out uh, a traffic war yes I mean what was that like Uh, I haven't seen that you've done a lot of action before, so I've started to do. I've, I've, I did. A, I did a, a, pro, a kind of proper stabby 
slit throat thing at the end of uh, last year, a French film. And I love doing stuff with, mm-hmm. with action. I think it's just, as soon as you get to start playing around with, you know, guns and, and, <laughs> and stunt, you know, and stunts and stuff, it's, um, it's just really fun and it's kind of learning the art of it and learning how to make something look believable and yeah. how to, so it's kind of like, it's like learning tricks when you're a kid. Mm-hmm. It's really fun. So it's something you're interested in doing a bit more of then? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. I've always wanted to, to get something where I have to sort of become really butch for it, like <laughs> get loads of muscles and sort of, you know, train yeah. really hard physically. Alicia Vikander and Tomb Raider. Yeah. yeah. What was it like working with the legendary Tom Wilkinson? Have you got any kind of anecdotes to share about what he was like on set or whatever oh, else? I think Tom is, uh, I mean, Tom Wilkinson is an absolutely fantastic actor and actually quite true to his character in the film he is he's he's very british in the sense that he loves to moan he loves a good old moan so it's um it's very it was funny it's, he, he's a very endearing character because he sort of you know he'll complain about the weather and he'll complain about his back hurting he'll complain about the hours <laughs> but then at the end of the shoot he sort of you know, sheepishly turns up at the rap party, and I think he—he's—he's. He's, I think he was really thrilled to be there and to be involved in that in that team. And also, it's just—it's a joy to sort of watch someone who's got that much experience and who's just that sort of yeah, that yeah, talented. Yeah, it must be great just being around him. Because yeah. of everything he's done and absolutely, yeah, yeah. and sort of the subtlety in his yeah, there's a lot to yeah. learn. Yeah, so you've done a mix of kind of TV and film um, throughout. Uh, what do you see as the kind of main differences, and do you have a preference, or does it just depend what mood you're in for that <laughs> particular project? Uh, I do. I, I think there's a. I think the main difference I would say is with a film, you really are in most of the time one person's vision, you know, yeah. the director's vision, and it's very much that that universe, and everyone's facilitating that. Whereas with television, there's a lot more voices involved, and so television is a lot more like a writer-driven mm-hmm. because it's the you know it's about the script, and it's about the progression of a storyline over multiple episodes. Um, whereas with film, you get I guess the luxury of sort of just having one person's universe and really yeah. kind of getting to dive into that. So I do think, and you know, typically there's more, usually more time with film than there is with television, where things are on a bit of a tighter schedule so there's obvious perks to doing film but TV is going in such an incredible way now that there's mm. you know it's the quality of television has sort of skyrocketed and it's becoming the you know the new I guess the new <laughs> the sort new of auteur yeah. way of, yeah. of, uh, of, of doing stories but um I do. I mean, I, I, I have a at the moment a preference for for film, just mm-hmm. for I would say for those reasons. Cool. And what's up next for you, project wise, or is there anything you've got your eye on that you're trying to get into? Or can you just not <laughs> tell me? <laughs> um, I'm doing quite a lot of my own stuff in terms of I'm doing quite a lot of uh, my own art project stuff. Okay. So I make uh, I guess visual art videos mm-hmm. that are based around um, poems. So they're like a, I guess like a sort of making a visual anthology mm-hmm. of poems. Um, so I'm currently sort of finishing the edits of that. And then um, and then I've got a lot of uh, French work that's coming up and that's being released at the end of the year. So I'll be doing a lot of uh, press and sort of promotion for those and doing kind of... France does these big sort of weird 
things where you take a film around France. Yeah. Um, so, yes, I'll be doing quite a bit of that over the next few months. Sounds cool. Lots in the pipeline then. Yeah. Absolutely. And I only have one last question. Uh, we always ask this because we're a nerdy podcast. <laughs> if you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, I like this. Okay, mine is quite, this sounds really lame, but only because I'm very like, practical and pragmatic because <laughs> I think I'd love to, obviously would love to say I could fly but then everyone would just Flying see you fly and, and, and you, I think your life would be ruined it would be like you know <laughs> I mean like becoming super famous overnight whereas I think my superpower would be um, to speak every single language in the world never had that one before because you, yeah. can you imagine how awesome that would be to turn up, you, could just, you could impress everyone you could meet literally any. it would just yeah that's my very my very geeky superpower it's really good one every language yeah, that's the uh, that first exists. time I've had that one so. well there you go <laughs> good answer to hear. Yeah. Um, well thanks very much for taking the time to talk to me today it's been an absolute pleasure and thank you good luck with the film uh, I hope it does really well I'm looking forward to seeing it again in cinema when it comes out brilliant uh, whenever that is so yeah uh, watch this space thanks very much thank you next up is the director Tom Edmonds so I'm joined here by Tom Edmonds the director of Dead in a Week or Your Money Back long title <laughs> hi Tom welcome on hi Craig how are you doing yeah good thank you yeah how are you I'm good uh, how are you enjoying the festival in Edinburgh sunshine Ish. Yeah, well, it's been a terrific. A lot. I mean, to be honest, it hasn't been that conducive to watching films because it's been like this stunning weather, and it's been lovely to be out, and it's been lovely, nice to meet people. Mm. I think that when you're in a festival with a film, um, you know, there are definitely some things that you've picked out in the program, and you go, well, "I really would like to try and catch that," and I'd like to try and catch that. And sometimes it's not possible because you know, festivals like to keep you sort of occupied I yeah. guess while you're here but um, uh, but yeah it's mainly about meeting people and that's been great cool great. Yeah, I love the Edinburgh Film Festival for that reason you just get to network and chat to different people and hear about different things yeah it seems to be a festival which is really um, open you know filmmakers talking with journalists talking yeah. with audience you know it, it, everything intermingles which is a, a, I think creates a really nice vibe I'd come to um, Edinburgh Film Festival. I've been here a few times as a viewer, um, and have and have really seen some fantastic things here. I actually haven't been. I haven't been for a while, um, uh, but they do such a great job with the programming. I think um, I was super um, thrilled and honoured to be um, to have Dead in a Week selected because mm-hmm. uh, you know I think if you've seen films at the festival and they've kind of been what some of the films that have inspired you or that you, you you remember then I think when you feel like oh my film might be that to another filmmaker yeah. that's a cool feeling cool yeah. yeah so that brings us on to the film uh, Dead in a Week or Your Money Back in brackets yeah. <laughs> yeah. a long title so why write this film like where did the inspiration come from to tell this particular story yeah so um, I was I'd done a short film and uh, I worked with the two Producers who now have gone on to produce Dead in a Week, mm-hmm. and um, and they were saying to me, you know, the short had gone pretty well, and they were saying if you can come up with an idea or a concept for a for a feature film, you know, we'd really love to make a feature with you, a full length feature. Yeah. And um, so I was kicking around some ideas, and um, I had an idea about an assassin who only killed people that wanted to die mm-hmm. and would sort of advertise his services under the heading One Man Euthanasia Clinic. Mm-hmm. 
And, um, and I started thinking about that character. Um, and then I started to talk to one of my producers, Nick, about that character populating the story that I hadn't really come up with yet. And then he said, oh, that's funny, because I've been thinking about a, a guy who is suicidal but keeps failing to kill himself. Um, so we sort of realised that maybe there was, a, you know, there was some way of putting the two ideas together. They were really quite similar ideas yeah. being approached from two different sides. So then we smashed those two ideas together and, and Dead in a Week was born. Cool. Yeah. And was it daunting taking on a larger uh, feature film with presumably a much larger budget than a short and you know much more work to do? Was it daunting, or is it kind of just an extension of the same process that you followed before? I I think that I think it, it's incremental in that you set off with such blind ambition mm-hmm. and and just think you know you you don't really think about um, is this you know, how much bigger this is or how much more complex it is. You, you know, you focus on one task at a time. Yeah. So, like, the first task, writing the script. So I did, you know, did that. And then it was then it was about packaging it up and putting it together with the cast and then in, using the cast to be able to raise the finance and this sort of stuff. And that stuff is really difficult. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, to, to make no bones about it, uh, you know, I think it's very hard for people to understand quite how difficult that is. Yeah. Um, it's sort of a miracle that any film gets made. I mean, and, and, and I'm sure any filmmaker you talk to will say the same thing, really. Especially with it not being an adaptation of anything, things like that. Yeah, it's got no... Yes, it's absolutely. It's not got any sort of branded content to, to um, you know, as its foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, so original screenplays are tough. And then, you know, my original screenplay starts off with, um, you know, the main character is suicidal. That's... You know, and then I say, "Oh, yeah, I'm going to make a comedy of this." Mm. People are naturally a bit suspicious, I think. Yeah. Well, they were. Yeah. Yeah, and it is a funny film, obviously, in a dark sort of way. So, uh, how did you find that balance? And did you ever feel like you were maybe going a bit too far with some of the jokes, or were you always kind of confident that it would come across the way you wanted it to? Uh, yeah, that's a great question because um, I found that um, I found that. Uh, I, I had a, uh, I had an instinct about what would be acceptable and what yeah. was would not be acceptable, and I tried to really I, I really believed that there was a way of telling that story in a funny and uh, and uplifting and optimistic ultimately um, life affirming way, but um, but that also I could have this kind of dark humour in there. But that was really just my own instinct that kind of you know set me down that path. Um, but there are, or there were, a couple of jokes in the film that were just... They just didn't land. They, mm-hmm. they were too hard for... Not necessarily the overall tone of the film. Like, I think that they would have fitted in the overall tone of the film, but where they were placed specifically... Um, there was one particular joke, um, which on the page was uh, great... And, People would really, people would like, you know, would read the script, and it would be something that they would pick out. Oh, we love the bit when blah blah blah, um, and we shot it, and uh, and then when we came to put the film together, we just realised this joke just absolutely did not work. <laughs> it just really, it was, it was killing it. <laughs> like the audience just didn't want it at that time. They yeah. didn't want that kind of dark laugh in a place where actually they were kind of wanted to sympathise with the actor with the with the main character and um, and they didn't want to be taken out of that 
So you you sort of learn, you know, what people want mm. what, or what the film wants, really. So what was the joke? Unless you don't want to say. <laughs> so well, it's it's pretty pretty bad. It's so it's there's a bit in the in the film where um, where uh, William, the main character, tells you, uh, you know, sort of explains. Uh, how his parents had died, mm-hmm. and it's already very heightened. Um, and uh, then it, it um, uh, his father's last words to him um, were: um, his father looked at him and said, um, "I never had a threesome," <laughs> and then died. Um, <laughs> and it's it's a really kind of brutal, yeah. and, and it was just too it was just too much. It was just too much. Actually, the way that, and I think that it's real credit to uh, an Iron Barnard who plays William. Um, he actually played that scene with such an immense, uh, immense amount of integrity mm-hmm. and honesty, really. That I I think that I wasn't expecting. That to be done quite as well, maybe as it was as as he did it. Yeah. So actually, he he really, you know, the audience are sort of sympathising with him at that time, and he's being very open and honest. Um, so then to undermine that moment with a joke, especially a gag like that, which is quite extreme, yeah. um, was just not the right moment. Oh, so cut. <laughs> <laughs> so it was about finding that balance, and it sounds like you're yeah. you just kind of aware of what was too far. So yeah, and, that's, and I think that definitely comes across. Where it's, oh, good. You know, all the jokes kind of feel like they belong. At least for me. Yeah. You know, I mean, humor is more subjective than some other things. So. Like, yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I'm aware that um, you know, no film is going to be you know 100 percent to uh, to 100 percent of people. Yeah. You know. There are going to be some things that people really like in the film. There are going to be some things that don't work for them as well in the film. There's going to be some people who who don't you know, particularly respond to it. But there are going to be other people who really respond to it. Yeah. And we've kind of had that. So, and, that, and I'm fine with that. You know, I'd, I'd much rather people really loved it mm-hmm. um, than kind of everyone was a bit like oh, whatever. Yeah, you know. that's fair. Yeah. So how did you approach casting? Did you have people in mind for the roles all along, or did you just kind of find the people, or did some people impress you more than you thought they would? And, and yeah, so, yeah, I mean, it's really, it's, it's all of those, really. So, um, you know, Tom Wilkinson, who uh, plays Leslie the Assassin, um, the Assassin on the Brink of Retirement, it, you know, he was someone who was in, in mind from early on. Yeah. Um, you know, he wasn't, I can't say he was the only person, because... You know, the, you just can't get too fixated on one actor mm-hmm. because if you do and they say no, that's then crushing. Yeah, and you kind of undermine your faith in the whole project. But um, but Tom was someone that we we had in mind that we spoke about a lot mm-hmm. um, throughout the development process, and you know, just an extremely um, amazing moment when he decided to, to do the film. I remember yeah. that call, and um, that felt like such a massive win for the for the film. Um, Aniron, uh, who plays William, is a guy that um, you know that that really developed. I think that his career was developing at such a quick pace <laughs> that you know by the time when I started writing to then when we were casting, uh, you know, Aniron had had kind of really taken off and um, you know he just finished Dunkirk yeah. with Chris Nolan so um, you know that was very exciting he was definitely someone that we discovered 
as a perfect fit along the way. And, and you know, Freya, who plays Ellie um, in the film, she was, yeah, she, she auditioned um, for the part, and I was really blown away by her, <laughs> her audition and just her spirit and how... I mean, she's a real star. She brings such energy to the film. I just think the film lifts off, um, you know, when Ellie comes into it. And I really wanted that. I really didn't want to do, like, the kind of the cliche, manic, pixie dream girl. Yeah. And I think that it it has turned out that way. A lot because of Freya's performance. (laughs) But um, that, that Ellie was written with more to her than that. You know, I hope that that was there in the writing. I think it was, because I think that without it, I don't think we'd have got an actress of Freya's quality to do the part. Um, but then, when you've got an actor like that, she can then, you know, elevate it even yeah. higher. And I think that's what, what's happened with that. We've got Chris Eccleston for um, this part as the boss of the Guild of Assassins. Um, who He's effectively Tom Wilkinson's boss in the movie. And um, I've really quite actually quite consciously written those scenes to be quite long scenes but in one location so that they were able to be shot really efficiently Mm -hmm. so actually Chris is a really big presence in the film but we had him for two days and that's such a big thing when you get an actor like that to just drop in for a day you know and he comes in with this huge energy and this huge enthusiasm for the part I mean he just was like raring to go and then you know I think what you see in the film is that he really gives it both barrels Mm -hmm. I mean I have to say that like the the performance you see in the film is probably that was probably the smallest that it was (laughs) (laughs) but he was just amazing and great guy to work with absolutely great guy to work with and such a lovely lovely man charming and supportive and um, we just really got on it was it was a bit of a thrill um, I'm always impressed that he just disappears into his roles when he's in them oh. I didn't realise it was him at first yeah uh, and so was the, the accent and stuff was that he did he bring that yeah. or yeah um, I mean I thought that he would do it in his in his normal accent and he said I'm thinking of trying this and we, we spoke about it on the phone actually before um, you know before the day he said you know I just feel like it's it's this and then and then actually what we did is that he started talking about that and then he asked me about what I was thinking about for costume and then I sent him emailed him I think some references that I had for his costume and then that sort of reinforced what he was thinking in terms of who this character is um and then, so the accent and everything, I think it just reinforced what he already was thinking about for that. So, yeah, he's he's terrific. And he's yeah, I've, I've always enjoyed him in every, oh. everything I've seen him in. Yeah, he's a powerhouse. Yeah. He's a powerhouse. Yeah, um, yeah and, um, and so lucky to have Marion Bailey um, as Penny, who's Tom Wilkinson's wife, Tom Wilkinson's mm-hmm. character, Leslie's wife in the film. Um, Marion, I think, is one of... I mean, one of the most underrated, sort of under-the-radar actresses around. I mean, she is a class act. I mean, she... I I just almost... It's one of those things, when you're a director and you're looking forward to working with a certain actor, um, 
sometimes you can feel a bit like those experiences have gone by in a bit of a flash mm-hmm. and a bit too quickly. And it's because the actor has been so good that you haven't had to do much with them. You've almost, almost, you've just had to let them do their thing because yeah. they just get it. And so I sort of feel like that with Marion. I, I think I said to her on the last day that I had her, I said, I feel like Marion, we've barely spoken. <laughs> because, you know, she's just so good and she yeah. just got it so quickly that I, I really, you know, didn't have to do anything. Yeah. And her presence was important to sell the whole exciting versus banal yes. side of the, you know, side of the, the situation. Yes, so. and that was, a, that was an important thing. You know, obviously, as you, as you identify, it's, it's a driving force of the humour of the film. Yeah. Um, that was an important thing with the casting of Leslie, actually, because I think what, what you get with Tom Wilkinson is you get somebody who, if he leans across the table and says, I'm going to kill you, then you can believe that. Yeah. He's got a certain menace and threat to him, or he's capable of that. Also, he's someone who you can believe that, you know, 20 years ago, he was a, a, a really efficient, top-of-his-game hitman. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, what's brilliant about Tom is that he can also do the domestic, and he can be warm, and he can be affectionate, and you believe that as well so that dual thing I think there's not that many people um, that can carry both off quite as well and balance them quite as well as Tom can yeah and and it was a great way to to get humour across where it's just you know this big exciting world of assassinations but here's a brochure and a contract you know it just makes it so admin you yeah. know, very kind yeah. of... Yeah. Yeah. Well, someone it, has to put this in the system, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Check your gun out. Yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly. The, um, that was the, so that whole... That was the, what really unlocked that side of it for me, which I think I always wanted to go down that route with the character, but what really unlocked it was that I read an article about one of the FBI's top 25 most wanted criminals um, who admittedly was an accountant but he was an accountant for the mafia Mm -hmm. um, was discovered after being on the run for like 20 years um, living in um, a part uh, living in Harrow or Pinner (laughs) which is a sort of a suburb of London like very very leafy suburb of London Um, you know there were lots of um, you know, he'd finally been captured in some sort of sting, and um, and all the na- there were all these brilliant uh, interviews with the neighbours going, oh well, he was always well, a lovely man, but I'm just completely shocked, you know. <laughs> he, he would come round and you know feed my cat, and you know never had any trouble with him, you know, like this. Yeah. I just love the juxtaposition of those two things. Yeah, you just never know who's next door. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and that's fine. Yeah. And so, what was working with Tom Wilkinson like? I mean, obviously, he's a legend in the business. You yeah. know, was there any? particular anecdotes that you can think of that were oh god memorable or notable well yeah I mean yeah he um, so what's kind of fun about Tom what's great uh, first of all amazing that he says yes Mm -hmm. right um, so, but he also uses that as a bit of a stick to beat you with, in a way. <laughs> but in a really, in a kind of a nice way, because you realise that everything's a bit of a backhanded compliment. Yeah. So, um, I said this to him. I think it, I wasn't quite on the first day, but it was like on the second or third day, or whatever. I said I, we had a moment, and I said to him, Tom, I just want to say how incredibly grateful I am to you for saying yes, because I know that. 
saying yes is very difficult, saying no is much easier. <laughs> saying yes comes with all sorts of inconveniences. You have to get up at five o'clock, and we were shooting in uh, the beginning of February, and it was super cold, and you know, you just you, you know, it's a, you're basically signing up to five weeks of discomfort. Um, and you know, and he does not need it. I mean, he just doesn't need yeah. that. Um, so I said, I'm so grateful to you saying yes. And he said, well, I wanted to say no, but your script just made me say yes. <laughs> like this. And it's almost like you, you almost like hold it over your head that, you, that yeah. you've yeah. almost like forced him into, into doing this thing. But it, it's just terrific. And he beats you up every day. He'd be like, why are you doing this? Why are you, um, you know, why is the camera there? You know, you don't need this shot, blah blah blah, and so, which, but that forced me to justify everything, which of course is brilliant for my, yeah. you know, technique really to just, you know, to be have someone who is going to question why is this there, why is that, and I have to say to him, Tom, it's because of X, Y, and Z, and that just makes me better as a director. Mm -hmm. um, so, and 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 what's nice is that although Tom was, you know, somewhat grumpy on certain days, um, ultimately, you know, he came to our rap party which is amazing and I did not expect to see him there and so I went up to him and said uh, you know Tom thank you so much for coming it means so much to me it means I know it means so much to the whole crew and he shook my hand and he said I haven't been to a rap party for 25 years <laughs> and then he just walked off um, it was absolutely brilliant yeah so um, what a guy um, yeah what a guy what a guy uh, I've been told by insider sources to ask about an anecdote involving a dead body oh god oh god <laughs> if yeah. you don't mind it being no, recorded no, no. for posterity no 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 not at all <laughs> so there's a scene in the film where um, Leslie and William have to get rid of a body and um, is, so we had this dummy made that we wrapped in pond liner with a pair, you know, with just sort of legs and shoes sticking out the end of it, and um, we we wreckied this location. Uh, which is sort of like picturesque kind of bridge in the middle of the countryside, pretty nice. Um, and then there were really heavy rains. So this river was suddenly, like when we came to shoot, the river was suddenly like, it wasn't quite flooded, but it was really high and, and flowing super fast. Because always the thing was, was that we were going like, how are we going to get this body out once we chuck it in? So we said, you know, we talked with the art department and they said, well, we can tether it with some fishing line. You know, they can just chuck it over and we'll just be by the bank and we'll haul it back in. Anyway, so we come to do the the, um, the scene and they, the guys, the actors chuck it over the thing. Of course, immediately the fishing line snaps <laughs> and suddenly we've got this thing which really looks like a dead body wrapped in pond liner with two feet sticking out of it, <laughs> floating down this river, which is actually flowing really fast and heading off down the... Down the and, and everyone just sort of like looks at each other and then kind of the art department start panicking and producer extraordinaire Daniel Conrad Cooper decides that he would rather face a time in a freezing it was it was the 5th of February um, it was about so it was probably about 4 or 5 degrees he decided that he would rather risk hypothermia than the call to the police telling them that that's not a real dead body but actually we've just lost a prop um, so he runs 
chases this dead body ended up chasing it for a mile <laughs> down the river God. and then eventually realised he was about to lose it as the river kind of dipped under a road or something um, jumped into the river with all his clothes on swam over and rescued the dead body <laughs> and that's when he realised that you know this is not a producer that just sort of you know sits there with a big cigar you know <laughs> um, fully committed fully committed yeah producer extraordinaire yeah that was, was, it was the, amazing was it the blankets and hot drinks as soon as he got oh over? god I th- <laughs> yeah absolutely I mean the thing is that in that situation you know, you're sort of aware that it's going on, but but you know, my job is to shoot the day. You know, yeah. he would have been much more angry if uh, you know if he'd gone to all those lengths, and then I'd have been like, "Well, I was worried about you," and <laughs> we we just stopped. You know, he's you know, so I just shot the rest of the day, and then I you know caught up with him later, yeah. and then heard the I just the last time I saw him was sort of disappearing down down this field, chasing after his dead body. <laughs> really? Yeah. What projects are next for you? Yes, the, that's the. Um, I'd love to say million dollar question, but probably not quite a million dollars. <laughs> um, yeah, so working on a few a few different things. I've got um, a really a project that I absolutely love, but I think is complicated. Um, just how to set it up within the industry mm-hmm. um, is it's a it's a character it's a midlife crisis character comedy about. Imagining the life of the guy that provides the Germans with the voice of Tom Cruise. All right. They always they dub everything yeah. in Germany, and if you're a big famous actor, you have one person who's your voice. Mm-hmm. So I, I found that really fascinating, and so I wrote this script imagining a guy who sort of worked, walked into a dubbing studio aged twenty or whatever to dub a fairly unknown actor in risky business, <laughs> and then sees this guy become so successful and him basically be tethered to him riding on his coattails for the next you know 30 odd years Mm. Um, but then all of the anger and misgivings that that brings gives rise to um yeah, it's called Ich bin Tom Cruise, <laughs> and it's a it's a fun it's so really it's a fun it's a fun yeah. one. So that and then also I'm working with a friend on a um, a really nuts um, kind of real B movie, hmm. which I just think would be really fun. I, I kind of you know I'd love to just do a, a flat out B movie, um, it, but it, but which is also I mean it, it's extremely funny mm-hmm. um, because when the kind of you know, when the gloves of good taste are off, then um, you know you can really go for it, and so that's something that I'm quite, I'm quite excited by at the moment. What's the subject of that one? What's it about? Well, it's about a man who uh, is about an, an older couple. Again, I like my older couples. Um, and the wife dies, and the man's hobby is he does taxidermy. So he decides to pickle his dead wife. <laughs> And but in the process of pickling his dead wife, he inadvertently brings her back to life as a zombie. Oh, right. Um, and then sort of has to kind of kill her. With I mean, it's not quite as simple as that, but he, that sort of thing. He, um, yeah, he's got a real. Um, so having been so distraught that his wife has died, um, she, when she comes back to life, he. Has to kind of be responsible for killing her again, which is a zombie. Um, but it's just a real, um, 
Yeah, like I say, it's just a real fun, fun B-movie. But with a, I think what's nice about it is that it's got a real heart to it. There's a real, um, you know, because it's all about them preserving the connection, him basically unable to deal with the loss, mm-hmm. you know, and his grief. And um, so I think there's a heart to it, but actually it's just a real kind of, you know, bloody, funny romp. <laughs> See if Tom Wilkinson's up for that one. Yeah, right? I can second <laughs> imagine that. No. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be good. Uh, last question, since we're a nerdy podcast, we always ask this. Yes. Uh, if you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? Ooh. The why is important. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know what? I mean, what, so in fact, my I've got a 10-year-old son, mm-hmm. and... We talk about this actually a lot. So I've got a really, I've got, I know what it is, but I never, but it's not a particularly fun or, you know, but mine is teleportation. That'd be useful. I, I, I just, because I hate traveling, <laughs> I just can't be, I find it such a waste of time. The idea that you can just click your fingers and be in another place, yeah. I mean, that on a, on a, just a selfish level. But then I think, you know, if you're able to do that thing, um, I guess like, um, in Avengers Infinity War when um, uh, Spider-Man Doctor Strange is creating the portals and Spider-Man's jumping through them in order to kick Thanos (laughs) and all that sort of I guess there could be more practical applications to Mm -hmm. my in terms of saving lives to my teleportation (laughs) but um, at the moment it's just about being able to get from you know A to B as quickly as possible you get to work you know within minutes of waking up yeah exactly get to work you know get home from work that would be a key one yeah even better you know maybe you could actually go and live in a place you could go and live in like a really hot country and snap your fingers yeah. and be back in London to go and do work and then snap back to so teleportation would be mine um, yeah so what's my what's my what's my my son his changes quite a lot he's 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 brilliant he's um, uh, he constantly thinks he, it's it's never a case of if it's a case of when with him. Right. So he says he says he starts he starts conversations with me like with with things like Daddy, you know when I invent the teleportation device, or Daddy, you know when I invent the flying car. He's got quite high ambitions. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much for coming on uh, and talking to me a bit about the film. Great, uh, thank you so much. Wish you all the best with it when it comes out when thank it gets you. distributed yeah. hopefully it'll get a wide release everybody will get to see it yeah thank you yes fingers crossed so thanks very much thank you those were my interviews with Freya Maver and Tom Edmonds Dead in a Week or Your Money Back doesn't currently have a release schedule but I really hope that changes soon as I think it deserves to be seen if you're listening to this before July 1st then there is a Best of the Fest screening at 11.05am in the Film House so if you're in the area and want to see a really funny film with a great cast then get yourself along to that a big thank you to Freya and Tom for taking the time to have a chat with me. I wish them the best of luck with the film. If you want to know more about it and keep up to date with release news, you can follow the official Twitter account under at deadinaweekfilm, all one word. If you like what you heard, then please do hit that subscribe button on iTunes, YouTube or any major podcasting app. iTunes users, please do supply a star rating to share the love. We hope you'll join us on the next Neil Before Pod.